The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report by Keystone Partners. I'm Dave Hennessy, and I was very excited to sit down with Kelly Schick, the Chief People Officer at C4 Therapeutics, for a wide-ranging discussion on what they're focused on at C4 and their science mission, of course, to start off with, and then talking about how they're developing talent through feedback and using the concepts of one of our former guests, Kim Scott's Radical Candor. They're using modules to drive conversations inside their organization. They're also implementing wellness programs and promoting people taking time off for mental health. And I like the way Kelly in this episode talks about how HR understands and knows the business and really becomes a partner of the business. She gives some vivid examples about how HR can do that. And I think you'll enjoy this episode. Next up on the podcast is Simpresses and Vistas, VP of Remote Working and Communications, Paul McKinley. And now our conversation with Kelly Schick. Kelly, welcome to the Hennessy Report podcast. By thank you. Happy to be here. I want to thank Debbie Doches, our Keystone colleague who made the introduction to you, Kelly. I don't know, it was probably two years ago. So yeah. here we are finally sitting down for the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad she did. It's great having you. And we always start by finding out a little bit more about our guests. And can you share an early life moment that informs who you've become as a person, as a professional? I probably wouldn't be starting off right if I didn't mention my parents first, because they truly have made me who I am today, both as a leader, as a mom, as a friend. <laughs> it's all of those pieces that you bring to your life. Uh, my parents were those people growing up that supported me in everything I did. You know, when people called me bossy, which I was at times, you know, they were the people saying, no, I was just leading and I was being curious and <laughs> I should continue challenging and asking questions and being being myself, which you need those people in your life. My dad in particular was the person I always call every time something makes me nervous or challenges me. And when that imposter syndrome comes in, which it always does, he's my go-to. And each time he will tell me, Kelly, <laughs> these are people. Everyone puts their pants on the same way. Stop it. You are a person too. Do not, there's nothing to be nervous about. And that really helps to calm that voice in your head that that you just don't need there. And so he's always been that person for me. So I, I always like to start by talking about my parents because they really were my support system and they, they still continue to be today. But if I think about a moment in my career that really stands out, it's taking the opportunity to work outside of the US. Early in my career, I worked for Bristol-Myers Squibb and right out of grad school, they asked me if I'd be willing to move to Belgium and take an ex-US opportunity. And so who, who says no, right? I was right out of school, right. young, scared, but I said yes. And I learned to be independent. I learned to live alone. I learned to eat dinner alone, <laughs> to travel alone. I learned to like myself, right? Because you spend so much time alone. But more importantly, it was really uncomfortable. There was no smart technology, no GPS. 
I think I got off the plane with no cell phone and a paper map and a, a, a guidebook on Belgium with some French translation. I mean, that's what I was walking into. I was very, very fortunate in my time there that I had a manager, a leader who invested in my development and cared about me enough to give me feedback often. And as uncomfortable as it was because I was already (laughs) in this space that I didn't know, doing work I didn't know, uncomfortable enough, she gave me feedback every single time I did any piece of work. I was in a meeting. I presented. She would pull me aside directly after. And she always did it the same way. She spent two minutes with me, and that was it. And she would say, here are the things that went really well. Here are your strengths, Kelly, that made you successful in what you just did. And then she'd say, and here are the things that I noticed that you need to do differently next time. And we'll talk about that in our next one-on-one, but I want to make sure you hear the feedback right away. And the other thing that she did in those two minutes is she was humble and she would say, here's what it looked like when I did that, when I was at your stage, and here's how I messed up and here's how I learned to do it differently. That was my first real opportunity to see radical candor and in motion. And I have to tell you, I didn't know what it was at the time. I knew it felt uncomfortable. I knew that, you know, I didn't like it in the moment. Um, But I left Belgium really bigger than who I was. I was confident. I learned independence. Um, I grew technically in the field from the things that I learned. I grew in my soft skills based on how she trained me and gave me feedback. And I walked away with two learnings, one being, who do I want to be as a manager? when I grow up, right, because of how well she did it. And the other was, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Great messages. And it sounds like you had your very own Sheryl Sandberg. As you might know, we had Kim Scott, who wrote Radical Candor on an earlier episode. And she told a story very similar to what you told about (laughs) when she worked for Sheryl. That's great. Well, let's hear about C4. What's the mission of C4? A little bit about the science and therapies you're creating. C4 is a clinical stage biotech company. We're committed to delivering on targeted protein degradation and through that creating a new generation of medicines that will transform, we hope, will transform patients' lives. So you may wonder what is targeted protein degradation. If you were like me when I started at C4, you might not know what that is. (laughs) It's really the process of targeting disease-causing proteins to destroy them, right? And so most of the medicines that you know about from our industry today are the small molecule inhibitor drugs. The difference is instead of going in and targeting that protein to bind with it to inhibit, right, or to stop that um, disease-causing protein, we go in to destroy it, right? And, And we use the body's natural processes to be able to do that. So it's an exciting time to be in the field. It's a field that is exploding, which makes it interesting from a recruiting standpoint. And lots of competition, pre- right? right? Yeah. <laughs> lots. We believe it will truly transform the way medicines look and patients' lives in the future. So we're about 145 people today. We're based in Watertown, Massachusetts, and we're fairly young. We went public in October of 2020, so right in the heart of the pandemic. We were once, you know, I'll call it a a discovery-based organization, high science, discovery-only-based organization. Today, we have three programs in the clinic, all in oncology, and, you know, a fourth one that we're looking forward to hopefully being in the clinic at some time next year. Sounds like there's a lot of great promise with the science there. That's great. And you came into the organization as the first chief people officer. What did you come into? What was your mission? And 
What did you do first? I'm not sure knew, I knew what I was walking into. <laughs> I was drawn to C4 because when I met with leaders in the company and I heard them talk about the science, it was exciting, right? It got me excited on the call. I didn't know what I was excited about yet. The other piece is I met with the CEO and he talked about what he wanted from HR and what he valued in HR and all the growth that need to happen and the role that the chief people officer would play in that growth and driving success in the business. And from that conversation, I knew like this was it. I was a little bit uncomfortable, right? That's my theme. I was a little bit uncomfortable. I knew that it would challenge me because I hadn't been at this stage company before, but I also knew it was exciting and it was something I couldn't turn down. So that first mission coming in was, Kelly, figure out the pandemic, which I'm still working on, right? Two years <laughs> later, I'm still working on, but help us think about sustainable growth. We're growing really, really fast. We're being challenged by transitioning from a discovery organization to a clinical-based organization. We're bringing in new capabilities, new talent. Um, we're doing it in a way that we've never done before. We just hit 100 employees, and so that was a big turning point for us as an organization, and we didn't know how to work together yet, right? There were all these new people, new functions, and we had to figure out how to do it together. So making sure that we build this company in a sustainable way because we don't want to build too fast and then need to cut in the future, but we also need to get the right types of resources on board as quickly as possible to get all this work done that we have in front of us. So really exciting time to, to be there. Yeah, Kelly, how did you tackle getting clarity around the values and the mission, making sure there's a common language as you're bringing and growing fast? One of the first things I did was was listen to the organization. I was fully remote. I didn't have access to go to the coffee machine and talk to people and meet people there, right? So you had to be really intentional about integrating into the company, meeting new folks, building relationships and trust and really listening. And so I spent a lot of time listening to what made the company special. What did people love about what we do? What are the strengths? I also put in place an engagement survey. I love data, so I wanted to see the data. And what I heard was so consistent. It was, we are an organization that's passionate. We're passionate about the science, about our people, about what we're doing, about patients that we serve. We're innovative. We get things done in a way that we haven't seen others do. We're lean, but we move fast and we do it because collaboration comes naturally. So as I started to hear all of these key themes, it was really consistent what our values were, right? I think what we hadn't done yet is communicate them. One of the other things we heard from the engagement survey from an area of development was we grew so fast. We're in this place now where we're a clinical stage company. We don't know what that means. What's our mission? What's our vision? Where are we going as an organization? Who are we? Right. Who do we want to be when we grow up? People were starting to ask that question. And so it became really evident we needed to communicate to people what they already knew, but put pen to paper and, and actually say it. So come up with our mission and vision, and then the values that would support those boundaries that you know, really essentially define our culture as an organization and how we behave. It was easy to put the values together and to come up with them because we were so consistent across the organization and how we described what our strengths were and, and really what we wanted to be. Uh, the difference was we all use different words sometimes. People will will laugh at me, but it was important to me to find a way to, to brand them in a way that could stick. And so we landed with four C's and a T, so C4T. <laughs> you know, it wasn't something we did and sat around in a leadership team together making up. 
it was truly who we are. Can you give us an example of something that happens inside C4 that you feel is unique, but it really does exemplify the core values? So our values are courageous, committed, we are catalysts, compassionate, and we are trustworthy. The ones that are unique and and really stand out to me are catalyst and compassionate, and they happen to be my favorite. So I can give examples about both. But catalyst, what does it mean to be a catalyst? It's really the intersection of collaboration and innovation. So at C4, what we saw really early on is that collaboration was a strength and it came really easily. And maybe that's because everyone had that shared mission of wanting to you know, make protein degradation work. We couldn't just say we are collaborators, right? We needed to say we come together with a purpose and that purpose is to spark new ideas. So when we come together, I can share an idea. It will spark something for you and we'll get to a better outcome. And we see that every day in our scientists. I mean, especially in our discovery organization and the breakout teams that they have, they do this on a daily basis. And we we had an example at a all company meeting where someone in a different area of discovery joined one of the, the functional teams and they just asked her approach and how she thought about something. She shared a new way of doing it. And now it's taking them down a completely different path, right? And she's someone who normally wouldn't have been invited to that team meeting. So those are the the kind of things that we promote and I have to say kind of kind of come naturally to us. I'm curious about this because I know there's always that culture fit, culture add. We don't want to get all people just like yeah. us, but you want to make sure that people live up to these values that are coming in. And sometimes in the interview process, it's hard uh, to figure those things out. How do you make sure that people live up to those values as they're being onboarded? We just rolled out interview guides that are based off of these values. And so we're now teaching talking to managers and interview teams about how to ask really probing questions to get to, does someone display these values? Do they have alignment in what we believe is the right level of the right type of behaviors for our organization? More importantly to that, it somewhat comes naturally for our hiring managers because it's really important to C4 and to our employees that people come in and they fit within the culture. And so they look for people who are you know, who care about the science, who are excited about it, who care about getting drug to patients, who are going to be good colleagues to each other. And so they were already doing some of this. What we did is more formalize it into interview guides, but some of it was already happening. Right, right. I know in your role, you have to interact with the board of directors. And can you tell us a little bit about how you work with the board and what role you have? I think the demands of the role are shifting as CEOs now are looking to this role to be a true partner in thinking about board dynamics, board evolution, how to position topics with the board and talk about the business and do it in a way that brings them along and doesn't just feel like we get together with them four times a year, right? And that sometimes takes a skill that, you know, us in HR bring to the table. So I think our role is is evolving and playing that role differently. But from a board dynamic standpoint, most organizations today, or I should say some organizations like ours, are starting to shift the compensation committee to have this broadened scope. We've done this at C4 as well 
to be things like succession planning and leadership development, looking at organizational dynamics, putting diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging on the agenda and understanding what does that mean? What is the culture we're creating in the organization? Because the boards are realizing that these are the things that will impact the success of the of the business measures, right, of the business outcomes. And so they want to talk about it and have some oversight to it. So as that remit of the compensation committee broadens in scope, so doesn't the role of the, the CPO, right? We have to drive that and think through what that looks like and reimagine how we operate with the board. Um, so those are the things that we've been doing. Aside from that, I'd say, in particular to our stage of company, just like leadership teams and capabilities inside the organization evolve over time, so don't boards. Your founding board doesn't necessarily always continue with you when you when you go public or even a couple of years after you go public and you move into the clinic or you move into commercial. The capabilities you have on the board that are providing you that really important advice and counsel need to shift with the stage of company. And so that's where HR, the, the role of the CPO really comes in and working with the board and with the CEO on how do you do that in the right way? So you're involved in the recruitment of new board members yes. uh, as an HR. Is that typical in your industry? I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. it's somewhat typical. It should yeah. be it best should practice. Be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why I was drawn to C4 is because I saw the board and I saw the CEO valuing my role and knowing the role that I could play and in influencing in all of these areas. There are companies that don't. I'm thinking of your employees, too. What kinds of things are you noticing um, newer employees, younger employees that are coming into the marketplace or coming into your organization that's different? That may be something that you saw earlier in your career. I find that they have a stronger voice. You know, rightly so. They're demanding wellness programs and a focus on the whole employee that you bring to work every day and making sure that they can be themselves when they come to work, that the the organization cares for them and puts things in place to support them on being a better person, not just a better worker, right? Because they all kind of come together. I don't get the sense that they want 100% remote or want to never come into the office or that they have this sense of not wanting to build relationships. It's control, right? I want to be able to come into the office when it's best for me and my job and to do the work that I do. And so organizations that are putting in place things like mandatory, everyone's here Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they're bucking against that system because it takes the control off of them and it makes it arbitrary, right? But when you go to an employee like that and you say, you know, to do your job effectively, I think you need to be here a couple days a week. So look at your schedule, look at the work that you do, make the right decisions. I trust you, come in when you need to. But on average, I think you're going to come in two or three days a week. It gives them back a level of control and ability to choose, mm -hmm. you know, what makes sense for them both in their life and here at work. 10, 20 years ago, you could have told employees, everyone needs to be here every day and everyone would have stood in line and done it. Today, that's not the case. So I find balancing the business objectives with giving employees choice and giving them a voice in, the, in, in what we're doing really makes an impact on bringing them along and getting them to buy into what we're doing. So how does your HR team support managers? Being a, a younger company, we also have a lot of managers that are still learning to be managers. So first and foremost, we're giving them management training and building skills in the organization so that they can build the basics. And we're doing it in a way that 
allows them a little bit of flexibility, knowing that that's what they want and need. But the other thing is that the business partners need to become coaches. And so our business partners really are helping them work through situations, giving them advice, sometimes talking points, right? When managers have never done something before, writing down, here's how you structure a conversation like this that's difficult. Those things become really important. Um, And one thing we've also done at C4 that I think has helped, we rolled out radical candor to the organization and we put together some modules for individuals on how to have difficult conversations and how to do it in the right way. Yeah, I I like that you bring that up again. And I think about what you said at the beginning about being uncomfortable. And sometimes when you're giving candor, (laughs) it's going to be uncomfortable for both you and the person that's hearing it. Right. So and that's not bad to your point earlier on. I don't want to just train the organization on how to give feedback. I want to train the organization on how to receive feedback. You have certain feelings in the moment <laughs> that can distract you from hearing the feedback. So people people need to learn how to receive feedback just as much as we need to know how to give feedback. I think we'll bring in our producer of the Hennis Report, my colleague here at Keystone Partners, Megan Mandino. We produce the podcasting cooperation with NERA. And Megan almost always asks the nearer question of the podcast. We were just talking about people young in their careers. We were wondering what advice would you give to up and coming HR leaders thinking of entering the biotech or pharma spaces and what differences or stigmas you've seen having worked in both industries to give them some advice on their way in or how they're choosing. Be a business leader first. So in HR, oftentimes people say, I want to go into HR because I love people. And that's great. I I hope they love people, but I also hope that they want to learn the business because really where you make an impact in HR is when you understand the business fully and you find a way to translate the HR pieces into driving success for the business. Early in your career, partnering with business leaders and making sure that you ask them questions and you ask them how they do their job, you attend meetings and you shadow them. It's not just to support them and to give them coaching and advice. It's to learn the business because that's how you continue to grow and that's how you be a better leader longer term. From a pharma and biotech standpoint, growing up in, in large pharma, I can tell you there there does tend to be a bit of a stigma around going from large pharma to biotech. And it it happens in a couple of different ways. You know, one is biotechs will say, oh, you big pharma, you can't translate, you can't come to our small environment, you can't adapt. And on the other side, from large pharma, you get this perspective of, oh, small biotech's HR, it's just administrative work. Um, Neither are right, right? I'm proof that neither are right. So being in large pharma early in your career, you have access to so many resources, so many people that you can learn from. You might even get experiences like I did being able to work outside the U.S., right? Those things are really important to be able to find ways to learn. But transitioning to biotech is fun and it's challenging and I think even more complex than large pharma at times because the expectations on you are really to do more than one kind of function at a time. You're expected to do everything and, you know, at one moment be strategic and share where we're going and and driving the people strategy and then the next you're helping to coach a leader on how to have a difficult conversation, right? It's it's being able to find that balance. And I find that so rewarding and so challenging and, and, and fun at the same time. So there's lots of stigmas that exist. I'd say you can do both. The work is amazing in both. And I personally now love being in the space that I'm in. You want your HR team to know the business and be yeah. business partners, right? And we hear those words a lot. And my question is, how do you know 
when you've achieved that? It's the hardest skill to build because the business needs to let you in. It needs to value you as a business leader for you to build that skill, right? And then right. that's when the trust forms. So early on in my career, what I did is I asked a lot of questions. I didn't just ask the, how will HR impact this questions? I asked the scientific questions. I said, I don't understand this term. Help me understand what that means. And what I found is leaders were so open to scientists. Everyone was so open to just teaching because everyone loves to talk about themselves. They love to talk about what they do and what their passions are. So when I figured out that I could ask those questions and I would take notes in meetings and write all the acronyms down I didn't know, the scientific terms I didn't know, I would sit down with someone and ask them to teach me. And they did. And they didn't hesitate. Early on, I was at a biologics manufacturing facility and I had never, I'd never worked in that environment before. And so I suited up. I went in and I spent the day in the manufacturing facility and I watched them. I asked them how they were doing their work. And These, at first they were a little put off by me. I'm not going to lie. It was <laughs> HR, big brother, like looking down. But then they got comfortable with me and they leaned in and they said, look, watch me do this, Kelly. And this is the next step in the process. And I got to learn. And eventually it became comfortable for them to let me into the facility where I'd suit up, I'd badge in, and I would walk around and ask questions and I would chat with folks. And one, it was a great way to get to know employees that I didn't see because they were in the manufacturing floor. And two, I got to learn what they did. And they had a lot more respect for me because I was asking those questions and I was there with them than if I was just that HR lady down the hall that ha- that sat in an office, right? That's so really good. those things are really, really important. That is powerful, um, Kelly. Yeah. I love it. And (laughs) that's awesome. If you could write a letter of career or professional advice to yourself, you know, to Kelly at 25 years old, what would you write? I would tell myself to give myself a break. (laughs) I think we're all so hard on ourselves. Everyone has imposter syndrome. Everyone, you know, has moments where they feel overwhelmed. And I think if I could go back, the problems that seemed like really big problems at 25, (laughs) They're nothing now. And so I wish I could tell myself it's going to be okay. Be yourself. Yourself is good enough. You know, trust in yourself. Other people trust in you. I just wish I had that earlier on. I I told you I had it from my parents and that was always really helpful. But in the moment at work, sometimes those feelings can be really overwhelming. And so I tell my team this all the time when they come and sit down with me and say, how do you do this, Kelly? I can't do this yet. I say, I couldn't do it then either. (laughs) It's okay, you know? And what's something you want to make sure you don't leave undone, say, five or 10 years from now? The culture around inclusion and belonging. There's a great foundation. It already exists to some extent, but really embedding that in the organization, really driving home people understanding their own biases and building a culture where everyone feels like they can truly be themselves and bring their best selves to work every day. That's my goal. That's what I really want to build. And I actually, I think we're going to get there. It's going to take years, but I think we're going to get there. That's great. We know there's ways you can measure diversity and equity. There's, you know, there's, like you said, you're a data person. You can get that. It's harder to get at inclusion and belonging, isn't it? It is. I mean, we, we measure it through surveys, right? And being able to understand, do people feel comfortable at work? Do they feel like they can bring them through cells? But the way I actually think you can measure it in a non-scientific, a non-data way 
is when people start talking about their home life at work, when they're mm-hmm. comfortable. I have maybe a silly example, but I have someone at work today who invited me to his dance performance outside of work. That's someone bringing their full self to work yeah. is when he can come up to me and say, my passion is dance. This is what I do. This is what I love. Would you join me? So when people can can do those things, I think that's a sign that you're moving stuff in the yeah, right direction. That's really good. I like it. What's something interesting about you, Kelly, that we wouldn't find on your LinkedIn profile or your bio at C4? I am really passionate about psychology. And my first job when I was in college was actually in psychopharmacology. I thought I wanted to be a a psychologist working in the space of mental health and addiction. It's an area that I'm really passionate about. And I got to work on a clinical study for a common antidepressant to see if it could alleviate the withdrawal symptoms of individuals who are addicted to cocaine and trying to come down off of being addicted. I realized that was not the right environment for me. Um, I was 19 years old working at Boston Medical Center and psychopharmacology. I mean, it was it was intense. It was emotionally draining. But it's part of what brought me here to HR today is realizing that was too much for me and I needed to figure out what I could do with psychology. That was my first passion. We just had a live HR panel discussion on mental health and awareness in the workplace. And they talked a lot about how you promote mental well-being and wellness and how it's different for every person and how you have gone about promoting that at C4 or any workplace you've been in. First and foremost, I have an amazing comp and benefits person on my team. She also has a passion in this space. I think we've done a lot to try to create different ways for people to take care of themselves. So little things like making sure that people have the Calm app available to them, coming up with new wellness programs that may seem strange to others, but promote taking time off and taking care of yourself to recharge. You hear me talk about recharging a lot because I think that's something that's really important. So we rolled out a new wellness program where after three years of service, everyone's name goes into a hat. You pick the name out of the hat and whoever's picked has to immediately go out on a two-week recharge and you go home, you watch Netflix, you garden, you travel, whatever the things are that you can do in that two-week time. And then you come back and you show us pictures. We have two company shutdowns. We do that intentionally because people don't take vacation. And when they do, they don't fully sign off. And so we force vacation twice a year because we know it's important to take really out-of-pocket time off from work where you can do the things that you love. So we try to build those things in. The more kind of tactical things we do is we look at our benefits programs. We make sure there's support for mental health and that it's something that's prominent in those programs. We do a wellness month. And so we had massage chairs come in. We gave people tips on mental health. One of them was on imposter syndrome, actually. And we talked about how to combat that. But we tried to cover multiple different topics over the course of the month to help people just understand that it's okay. It's There shouldn't be a stigma to it. It's something that we can talk about. So we, we try to do it in a lot of different ways. But you can see I'm passionate about this. I will give all credit to my comp and benefits person who is much more passionate than I am in this space and doing a wonderful job. And it sounds like you have a busy schedule. But what if something just got canceled and all of a sudden a half day or a day opens up completely to you? What do you do with it? 
I'd go with my mom to the spa. My mom and I try to do it every year. We truly relax. We laugh until we cry. It's fulfilling. It's it's what recharges me is having those moments and getting to spend time with her that I, I normally wouldn't get in that kind of way. Well, I can tell you, Kelly, who's going to love this podcast episode the most? You started talking about your parents and then your dad, and then you ended with talking about your time with your mom. They are going to love this episode and the whole HR community that listens to it as well. So thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.